I was trying to remember why I chose that. Um, there's usually a method to my madness. So we're in Acts chapter 1 still. And um, there, what I'm getting at is in the sermon, it's not a major part of the sermon, but it might, might make it out. In the Old Testament, God governed his people, 12 tribes of Israel, 12 leaders of the 12 tribes. And then the New Testament church governs his people with the 12 apostles, the perfected church that comes down out of heaven in, in the book of Revelation. You have the 12, um, the 12 leaders of the 12 tribes, and then you have the 12 apostles. And I'm getting at there, there are not two peoples and two plans. There are one people, the people of God in the Old Testament, primarily Jews, and then the New Testament opened up to even us Gentiles. And there's one gospel. There's one Christ. Abraham was saved by believing the gospel of Christ. Moses was saved by believing in Christ. So was David. Um, Acts 1. We're going to look at verse 21 through um, 26. I think we're going to make it through this paragraph. Um, Verse 21. Hear God's word. Therefore, it is necessary that out of the men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning with the baptism of John until the day that he was taken us from us, one of these men must become a witness with us of his resurrection. They put forward two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, who is called Justice, and Matthias. They prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all men, show which one of these two you have chosen to occupy this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside, to go to his own place. They drew lots for them, and the lot fell to Matthias, and he was added to the eleven apostles. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help me in the preaching of your word. Sustain me physically and intellectually, and keep the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, make them acceptable. Um, my, my sermon, Lord, may it be um, true according to the content of your Bible, even this text. And for all of us, Lord, that we would have circumcised hearts, that we would have eyes to see our need of Christ and our ears to respond to the gospel call of Christ and heart to love you, Jesus Christ. Help us. Help us love you more, Jesus Christ, and just live more for you, to your glory. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this has been a very interesting passage of scripture I think way back when this might even be our fifth sermon in this section I don't know what it was originally I was planning on taking one I don't know where it was maybe 14 15 clear to the end of 26 I thought it was a one sermon and I ended up preaching 115 116 and then 116 to 20 and here we are Um, I actually think legitimately I could preach another standalone sermon from this passage, but I'm not going to. So this is three or four sermons. To, to show us what we have here, there's so much. Let me just mention very briefly what we, what we have looked at. Because it ties into what we, we are looking at. In verses 15 and 20, I think verse 15 I, particularly I looked at, we looked at the restoration of the apostle um, Peter. And there what we saw was a true believer in the time of... Um, temptation, in the time of weakness, in the time of sin. He fell miserably. And this is written for our instruction. It's always helpful, not, not so we could say, look at, look at yonder, look at that poor pitiful schnook Peter. 
That's not what I mean. This is profitable for us to look at a real Christian, a real lover of Christ. I mean, the Apostle Peter um, fail miserably. And yet the Lord Jesus Christ does what? For this miserable failure. He lied against himself. I don't know Jesus. He lied and sinned against the Lord Jesus Christ. And then think of the people that don't know Jesus. He's putting a big old stumbling block before them as regards to believing in Jesus with his sin. So when we sin, we do all of those things. We, we sin against ourselves. We sin against Christ. And then we sin against people that we want to know Christ. And we put all, it's, we kind of, it's like the onion. And for all of those gross sins, what did Jesus do to Peter? Restored him. Restored him. Saved is saved. It's, he has saved us past tense. He is saving us present tense. And we shall be saved future tense. He doesn't lose any sheep uh, that he saves. And so, yes, he, he sinned in a horrible way. But the Lord Jesus Christ restored him. He prayed for him. It's a sanctification failure. and You can't have a justification failure. But we, we see you can't sin away the love of God in, in the Christ of God. You just cannot do it. I'm not arguing that you should go sin because then we're going to weep bitter, bitter, bitter tears. But Peter was made better by that. And the thing that I really want us to see with the restoration of, of sinning, failing, stumbling, apostle Peter, believer Peter, is amazing grace. It is amazing grace. Um, saved a wretch like us and continues to save. Sometimes we feel like wretches. We're considered God's children, but boy, we can do some pretty squirrely things, even as true believers. And Christ still loves us. And Christ still uses us. And the Apostle Peter is with Christ. So if you're thinking, well, I do love Christ a little bit, but boy, howdy, I'm stumbling in my sin. I'm rereading through um, J.C. Ryle's book on holiness, uh, which is sanctification holiness. And I told my wife last night in family worship, I feel like I'm less sanctified this week starting the book than I was last week. <laughs> I feel worse. I feel worse. I had a horrible week, sanctification. But Jesus still loves us. And so we saw that. We saw the restoration of sinning, believing apostle. But then the next sermon that we looked at is we see from verse 16 and following, really the content of Peter's sermon was not on the restoration of a sinning apostle, but on the removal of another apostle. And this is Judas Iscariot. And God removed Judas Iscariot from the church of Jesus Christ and God removed Judas Iscariot from the ministry of Jesus Christ. I have said this many, many times regarding ministers. Uh, in the OPC, we do practice church discipline, um, which is a mark of a true church, that when we get squirrely, we talk to folks and say, please walk right in a gentle, loving fashion. It's considered un unloving always when it's practiced, but it's, it's biblical. But I see it practiced with ministers. And even if, even if people think, well, you know, you could dodge this bullet or dodge that bullet, the Lord Jesus Christ polices his church. Um, if you are an unbelieving man, as Judas was, committing simony, <laughs> selling Jesus for money, which is what he did, Jesus Christ will remove you from the ministry one day. It's a terrifying thought, by the way. Terrifying. So what we learned is he restores a true believer who stumbles, but to a false believer, who is a dead, lifeless branch. He's not born again. This is a John 15, 1 through 11. The Bible teaches us something else. 
he won't be restored. He'll be cut off and he'll be cast away. So we have the true believer. You can never be separated from Jesus. Never. You can never outsin the mercy of God in Christ ever as a true believer. But as a false professor, as a hypocrite, the Bible says, be sure your sins will find you out. And someday, Jesus will cut you off from his church, from his ministry. And the Bible says, Jesus says, and he will cast you into the fire. So if one, we said, amazing grace. On Judas, I would say, terrifying justice. On some, God has mercy, and on others, God has justice. Both are true. And so we have the restoration of Peter, we have the removal of Judas, and now what we have here is the replacement of Judas as we consider this particular fellow, Matthias. So now we're looking at the dead branch has been broken off, the faithless man has been broken off, and now God is engrafting or grafting in a true believer, a faithful man, a proper servant. And that's what God is doing here. It's the, it's the uh, replacement uh, with a faithful man. I'm calling this sermon the representative witnesses of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, obviously, it's going to be directly speaking to an apostle, extraordinary preachers in the time that we're looking at. I, I guess the, the most particular application would be ordinary officers. We don't have extraordinary apostles anymore. Um, um, that, that epoch is o- over. But with the ordinary preacher, pastor, elders, this would have most application. But it also has general application, which is what I prayed in my, my pastoral uh, prayer. I want all of us to see that as believers, true believers, true believers, Paul says, I have better hope for all of you that you're, I think Paul writes Hebrews, but in, in chapter six, I have good hopes that all of you are true believers. For us as believers, our life has a grand purpose. Um, midlife crisis is a real thing. When you're 20, you don't think it's a real thing. When you hit your 40s, you, you know it's a real thing. I suppose both for ladies and certainly for men. One of the things that would help us if we're in a spot in our life where we're asking ourselves, what's it all about, Alice? What is this all about? Is there any real purpose to my life? Do I just get wake up, I get my lunch bucket, I go punch the time clock and I pay the rent and buy some beans and then I die. Is there any real purpose to my life? Oh, there's massive purpose to your life. Huge purpose for your life. And the purpose is, what we're looking at here thematically is, you are a representative of Jesus. That's why you're not in heaven yet. I used to always wonder when I was first converted, well, Jesus, now that I believe you, why didn't you just take me home? I don't want to live down here in this rat hole. I want to go home. Why not take me home? What's the answer? Because I have work for you, Christ says. You're not going home yet. You're in the field. And what's the work? You're my representative. So this is a, this is a representative is being grafted in to represent Jesus, specifically in the ministry. But you are a representative. Everywhere that you live, it doesn't matter. People, we, you know, I suppose guys are always like, well, what do you do for a job? Oh, it's so silly. Does it even really matter when we're in heaven? On your deathbed, do you care whether you were a bricklayer or whether you sold life insurance? Do you really care? 
what really matters, no matter vocationally what we do, or no matter how good we are at, at what we do, what matters? That we represent Jesus. Jesus is in the saving sinner's business. Paul's walking around saying, he saved me. That's why he uses me to tell other sinners he saves me. So this is about God grafting in and, and, and using a faithful man, a faithful woman to represent Jesus. And he uses the word witness. And it's that martoretto. It's the word martyr. So we are representative servant witnesses of Jesus. But the kind of witness we are is we're martyrs. It's not we're walking around with a hair shirt like we have martyr complex. You don't have to worry about having a martyr complex because if you live for Jesus, you're going to be a real life martyr. <laughs> and, and depending on what country you live in, it will be with real life blood or you just won't go to your families for Thanksgiving because they don't want to hear it about Jesus. Right? So, beloved, if you're thinking, what's it all about, Alice? I can tell you generally what's it all about. I don't know what you should do for a job or where you should go to school and all that. I don't know about that. But I do know what's it all about. So this is a sermon for you and it's a sermon for me. We are here and not in heaven because God keeps us here as representatives of Jesus. Everywhere that we go, whether we're folding laundry or driving a car, we have the name Christian, belonging to Jesus. And then we witness of him. And I'm going to argue in the sermon, if I can make it, that we witness, we represent Jesus both propositionally and practically, meaning word and deed. And they're both important. And let me say some general things. We have the removal of the faithless fellow, Judas, and then we have the reception and the engrafting of the faithful fellow. Now, I want to say something here. It's not as if God is in heaven going, where are the faithful folk? I'm going to find the good, faithful people to call them as my servants. God is not looking for the people that are inherently faithful and good and holy to use us as his servants. Why not? They don't exist. <laughs> they don't exist. So I preached many years ago in the book of Hebrews and there was an OPC elder that came. He said, wow. And I was preaching on Hebrews 11 and, and he said, well, basically you're saying a lot of these people are scallywags. I never knew. And he said, I always wondered why would God use scallywags to, to extend his kingdom? And I said, well, those are the only people, that's the only stock that we have to draw from. There, there, there are no people that are inherently faithful. And that's my point. It's not that Judas was really inherently bad and Matthias who gets grafted in is inherently bad, better. No, no. Apart from God's saving grace, Matthias is just as bad as Judas. There are unbelievers that I know that practically are nicer than I am as a believer. But that's not saving and converting grace. And I say that to my own conviction. So he's not taking a man that inherently is really bad and grafting in a man that inherently is really good. Because the Bible says about everybody, everybody, Romans 3, what, 8 through 19, no one seeks God, no one does good. You're all a bunch of scallywags. God chooses scallywags, foolish, low sinners, so he gets all the glory. 
So what he says is he breaks off the faithless man. He's not a recipient of saving grace. He's going to be a recipient of divine justice. And he takes this other man who is faithful. Now you say, well, are you contradicting yourself? No, I'm not contradicting myself. Is Matthias a true believer and faithful? Yes. By grace. He was something. And then by the grace of God and the Christ of God, he is something else. You're an unbeliever. You were wicked. You were sinful. And now you're not. That's the 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Such were some of you. You were faithless. Now you're faithful. You were unbelieving, Christ rejecting. Now you're believing in Christ loving. Look at who writes 13 of the, the epistles of the New Testament. Who, who, who does that? The guy who tried to kill the New Testament church. He hated Jesus, hated Christians. Now the grace of God comes into his life and what happens? The greatest disciple in the entire Bible. Greatest Christian that ever lived. So, that, so what we're looking at here is an expression of sovereign grace. This isn't just election. Sometimes people just think, oh, let's talk about election and predestination so we can beat up on all the, all those Ar- Arminians. The sovereignty of God is so overwhelming. Like, you mean one sinner gets justice? He takes another sinner and then he saves that sinner and gives him faith, gives him holiness, and then uses him? Yes. Yeah. And both are true. Jesus says in Matthew 21, 42, Did you never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected? This became the chief cornerstone. This came about from the Lord, and it is marvelous in his eyes. Therefore, Jesus says, The kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing the fruit of it. That's what's going on in this passage. One man would not use the gospel talent, and that's Matthew, and then Luke. In Luke's gospel, it's the parable of the minas. Remember those guys, three of them? And and the first two guys are believers. They use their gospel talent. They, They represent for Jesus. They witness for Jesus. And then on the last day, when they stand before Jesus, they say to him, what? Master, look what your gospel talent wrought. People came to know you. People were built up in you. And then he says to them, what? Well done, good and faithful servant. And the other guy says, what? I knew you to be, the word is scleros in Greek. It's a skinflint. I hate that. I think it's translated in English austere, but it's scleros. The last guy says, I knew you were scleros. You were a skinflint. You reaped where you didn't sow. And God says, what? Oh, you wicked servant. You didn't use the gospel talent. You didn't represent me. You didn't serve me. You didn't witness for me. You hated me. Take that man's talent and give him to the other man. Beloved, this passage is teaching us just, just generically in subject matter. There are only two, two, two roads to be on. There are only two classes of people in the whole world. It's not white, black. It's not political. All of those things are Mickey Mouse. Mickey Mouse. People split over everything and we subdivide everything. All, but God only has two divisions. Are you in Christ or are you out of Christ? Are you on the broad road to hell or are you on the narrow road to heaven? And the thing that determines it, obviously, is the grace of God. But we could put it in a question form, which God does. What think ye of Christ? 
Hate Christ, reject Christ, be broken off. Love Christ, serve Christ, be grafted in. The way that Paul puts it in the book of the first book of Corinthians, he says, Is Jesus to you a sweet smell aroma of eternal life? Or is Jesus Christ the stench of what? Right. To Judas, he was the sense of death. To this fellow Matthias and Peter and to us, he's the aroma of life. So now we have the removal of the unfaithful apostle, the reception of the faithful apostle. Now, say a couple things about the notion of apostle. We are Reformed Presbyterians. Um, we're cessationists, meaning we don't think new re- revelation. Our, uh, our, our, our confession, chapter 1, um, uh, summarizes what we believe based on Hebrews chapter uh, 1, 1 through 3. So no new revelation. And with the death of the last apostle, we don't believe in any more apostles with apostolic gifts, raising the dead and that kind of a thing. There are churches that believe that. I used to hang out with Pentecostals and want to be a Pentecostal because I wanted the super superpower. So I'm not, I'm not picking on them. So there are people right now, the Apostle Bob, uh, Prophet Fred, Apostle Sally, we do not believe that. So when I'm talking about apostle, it's coming from a certain theological persuasion. We believe that these fellows here, these apostles, are extraordinary preachers. They're extraordinary heralds. They don't exist anymore, but they did exist for a time until the close of canon. And they had certain requirements, which the Bible is going to walk through some here. And then the apostle Paul talks about other requirements of being a real legit apostle in Second Corinthians I forget which chapter in 2 Corinthians, but he brings it out. And then even later in the book of Acts, maybe chapter 5, you see some of the signs of a real apostle. You remember Peter, like the handkerchief, or handkerchiefs, would they would touch people with a handkerchief of either Peter or Paul, or Peter's shadow would fall on people, and then what would, what, what happened to them? They would get healed. So real, extraordinarily gifted men to preach Christ, but that's what, that's what they are. And what an apostle literally means, it's a compound Greek word, it means, sent, it means a sent one. And as I said earlier, just generically, what an apostle is, hence the idea of representative witness, is it, it means very generally they're a servant of Jesus Christ. Who, who, who wrote that song? Um, you got to serve somebody. Oh, I forget his. He can't sing worth a lick, but he made bazillions. Oh, I forget his name. Anyways. He was correct. You've got to serve somebody. And part of our misery in, in life is when we try to serve ourselves and not God. What this passage is teaching us by the restoration and the engrafting in of this faithful man is he's called to serve. Beloved, if you are miserable in your life or you're struggling in your life and you're like, why won't everybody serve me? Why won't everybody minister to me? You've got it backwards. I've got it backwards. We were not recreated in Jesus Christ to be served. God has made us new creatures in Christ to do what? To serve. Jesus, the master, says he didn't come so that we would serve him. He came to serve to give his life a ransom. So when we're looking at, well, what is this fellow, this representative? Generically, it's a servant. And you remember how the Apostle Paul opens up almost all his epistles. Hi, I'm Paul, 
I'm a servant of God. I'm a servant of Christ by the will of God, by the power of Christ, something like that. We make ourselves miserable. I do. When we think, well, I exist to, to glorify me and enjoy me forever. If, if you try to glorify you and enjoy you forever, you are going to be miserable. The happiest people on the planet know that we have been called by Jesus Christ to serve Christ. Not my will be done, but thy will be done. And so we're called by God to serve him, to be Christ's servants. The work was given from the Father to the Son. The Son has committed work into the hands of his people. We are to be busy about the Master's business. Now, true enough, you have to keep the light, the, the light on and the, the, the rent paid and groceries in the fridge. True enough. But we have been created by God to serve Christ and to minister Jesus to other people where God places us. Everybody can't be a minister. It would be horrible if everybody was a minister. You have access to people for Jesus Christ that I will never have access to. Never. You mums, you grandmothers, you, you, you dads, grandfathers, you have access to the hearts of your children and your grandchildren. You can minister Jesus into their lives. That's We're servants. What, what, what are we here for? Who is God using? God uses us to serve Christ and to serve Christ to other people. And that's what he's engrafting this fellow in. Remember Paul says in many places, he calls himself, he uses two words. One is a doulos, is a servant or slave, but then he uses another word, hupereto. It's a compound word. He's an under rower. He's a galley slave. And look at, you think, well, no, if you go to like counseling, they would tell you you can't do that because you have to have a positive self-image. And I'm not picking on having a positive self-image. I'm really not. We would be happier in Christ and more serviceable to Christ if we would call ourselves what the Bible calls us. I'm chained to Jesus. I'm chained to Jesus. I'm just pulling on the Jesus oar. I'm pulling for his glory, for his kingdom, with his word. And that, that, that see, well, he kept Peter. He broke off Judas. He grafted in this fellow Matthias. He, he's using us as his servants to minister Christ to other people. That's why we, that's why we exist. And one of the, th- the preeminent things that the apostle will do, and this is unique to apostles and then unique somewhat to, uh, to, to ministers, but also applicable to all Christians, is that um, the apostle was not only a servant, the sent servant, apostle sent one to serve Jesus, but he's also uh, an ambassador hyphen slash herald. That's how this man is to serve Jesus. And the Apostle Paul talks about that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And I'm going to quote that for us. This is part of the, the ministry or the usefulness of this fellow being grafted in as an apostle. Paul says this, Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ who gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That's what this guy is being grafted in for. 
He has the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their sins or trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation, the gospel. He grafts this fellow in and says, now I'm going to use you as a minister of reconciliation to run around and tell sinners God has made a way to forgive you in Jesus. There are the guys on Saturday, they stand up on the corners, the street corners with like a sign that says, you're, the Bible says you're going to hell. The wages of sin is death. But that's not the complete verse in Romans chapter 6, verse 23. The free offer of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Yes, sinners deserve hell, but God has made a way. That's the message. That's what these men have. And then he says, this is what the apostle is. We are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's what this fellow exists for. That's what I exist for. And to some degree, that's what all of us as Christians exist for. And yes, I understand that we're not all technically preacher pastors. We're not all the technical ambassadors. But beloved... Everywhere you go as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, everywhere, you are Christ's representative. You're Christ's servant. You're Christ's ambassador. You have the words of eternal life. You have the aroma of eternal life to the people that are around you, no matter where you go. And we witness martyreo in words and deeds wherever you go. You go go to the grocery store, and let's say the line is big and long and people are grouchy. You are witnessing for Jesus as you stand in that line. You are. Drive down the road. And people are hooping and hollering. Mona and I were driving somewhere the other day going to get something to eat. And there was a lady that drove up behind me. And I'm not the fastest driver, but I could see that she's in the back, wired for sound. And when she hits the, the horn, as soon as I couldn't even hit my pedal fast enough, and she's leaning on the horn. And, and I thought, oh, the poor lady's dealing with something I don't know what she's dealing with. And I threw up a quick prayer for her in my head. God, have mercy on this poor wired woman. Have mercy on her. We're his representatives in word and deed, wherever wherever we go. And I love the language of this. And I, of course, it makes my hyper-Calvinist think that I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, I'm not a Calvinist, that I'm an Arminian. When I say, I beg you, be reconciled. Well, don't you understand about election? Well, I only understand this much about election, but I beg you, be reconciled to Jesus. It's God's business. It's God's business. He's in the business of saving dead sinners and making them alive. That's his business. Our business is to be Johnny Gospel Seed and throw it out to everyone. That's our business. And he he says, we are are begging you. We come... as an ambassador, we come in the name of Christ, we come with the authority of Christ, we come with the word of Christ, and we beg you, come to Christ, live for Christ. J.C. Ryle says justification, sanctification, it all starts from looking to Jesus Christ. In, in, in justification, you can't perfect, but sanctification, you can perfect. And it, it, it continues to perfect as we continuously look to Jesus. 
I know it seems so trite. Oh, Jesus is the answer. Look at what these men are representing and what they're witnessing to. The death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, the ascension and session of Christ, the return of... It's Christ, 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 Christ. When are we going to get to the really important stuff? When are we going to talk about, I don't know, what would be the, the, the crown financial, the money? The, when are we going to get to the important stuff? Never in this church. Never. <laughs> when you fire me or I drop over debt. Look at what they're called to do. Testify of Christ. That he's died for sins. He's risen for justification. We, we serve a living Jesus. And this, this man is an ambassador to tell people there is one that can help you. Beloved, look around. We don't have to go to India. We don't, I, mean, I, I think we should go to India and tell Hindus about Christ. We don't have to go to Saudi Arabia and tell Muslims about Christ. I think we should go everywhere and tell people about Christ. But beloved, look around. There are people in your life, unbelievers and believers, who need to hear there is a living Christ he really died on a cross he really rose from the dead all power in his name and we always think well the next guy will tell him oh God send someone to tell my Aunt Tilly about Jesus. You got your Aunt Tilly's phone number, call her up. Right? We, oh God, I got stuff to do. Please say, no, no, no. Remember? He's grafting in a servant. A servant doesn't exist to do his own will. A servant exists to do the will of the master. And we represent Jesus. Well, don't ever say, well, I'm just a little bitty lump of coal but I'm going to be a diamond someday yeah we're lumps of coal but don't ever say I'm a little nothing no that's not true that's not true Christ writes his name on you he places his spirit within you the father gives you all his fatherly care every promise in the Bible is yes and amen you have the words of eternal life you think we we complain about the culture it's like the favorite thing of us to do the culture is a complete rat hole the culture is a complete rat hole We have the answer. And the answer is Jesus. And I'm not being, well, you're not going to vote. And da, 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 da. Oh, don't even start that. Of course I vote. I hold my nose every four years and vote, and then some schmendrick gets in, and I hold my nose and vote for another schmendrick. But the answer is this. It's Christ. And we witness of him. He saves sinners he continues to save sinners. He defeated death, which is the business of, uh, of their witness. We need a man that was w- with us from the time Jesus was baptized from John the Baptist. We need a man that walked and talked with Jesus. And what they're getting at there is what this man is teaching about Jesus, he learned from Jesus. And, and a real apostle could raise the dead and some other things. When I first moved here from Tallahassee, I made the mistake of getting my hair cut across town and the guy went to Brownsville. I'm not picking on Brownsville, but at the time, the Brownsville thing was kicking off, the vineyard movement, and they were barking like dogs and rolling around on the ground. And the guy said, what do you do for a job? I said, well, I'm just I'm going to be a Presbyterian minister. Presbyterian? 
So do you guys like speak in tongues and cast out serpents and heal whatever? And I'm just, I just want my hair cut. Just cut my hair. So I said, look, I don't want to have the talk. I just want, like, give me a one and a half, short, short. But I got, I got one from you. So over at where you go to church, they raise a lot of dead people, like dead, dead. Can I walk into the morgue? Can I go get my father's ashes and make him alive again? Like dead, dead. You all do that? No, 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 no. Let's not talk about this. A real apostle was running around saying, Jesus is the Christ, and I can raise the dead. We don't exist in that epoch anymore, but we run around saying, Jesus is the Christ, and he can raise the dead. What do you mean he can raise the dead? He raises the dead. He raises the dead. This whole passage is telling us we live for Christ, we represent Christ, we serve Christ, and we witness of Christ. And notice it focuses on his resurrection. To have a resurrection, it requires something. You gotta die. You gotta die. Biblical Christianity is like, a, it's like I think it's like hen's teeth. Um, I hate to say it. All the stuff, a lot of stuff that passes for biblical Christianity. The Bible says what we witness of our life, we are, are walking, talking witnesses for this. Jesus Christ did die for my sins. But he really does live. And I'm going to testify with my life that this life is not all there is. That I believe in eternal life. And I believe as a Christian, and we testify with our words and with our lives, that I believe when I breathe my last here on this planet, I'm with my risen, living Jesus Christ. We testify of that. Watch how people get absorbed in the church. Ah, they'll kill you if you hold the wrong view on anything. They'll kill you over it. Over stuff. Here and now. That's going to burn. We're testifying. We don't really, really, really believe. I'm just a passing through. People are watching you, beloved. As a Christian, who do you love? You love Christ? It's going to come out of your mouth. You love Christ? It's going to come out of your life. Apostle Paul says in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, Christ in me is coming out of me. What our homes need, what our churches need, what our country needs, are Christians living for Christ witnessing for him and I mentioned one last and I'm gonna, I promise I'm going to quit the word witness is martyr and, and we have to suffer for Christ that's part of our witness our brother prayed it in the prayer I, I, I completely believe this swimming against the stream part of our witness for Jesus and serving Jesus in front of everyone church and world 
Are we willing to suffer because we love Christ so much and because we love people? J.C. Ryle says this. He says, people might not exactly understand what justification is all about, but they can't miss what love is like. They can't miss kindness. They can't miss gentleness. Beloved, we attract people to the Lord Jesus Christ. I know it's sovereign grace. We attract them with a Christ-like love and a Christ-like love. Your purpose in life, my purpose in life, is to represent Christ and to witness of him. May God be pleased with the preaching of his word.